You are listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. In our last episode, part one of a panel discussion, we listened to a panel of experts in Hong Kong higher education express their thoughts on the impact of AI in teaching and learning. In part two, our conversation moves towards topics such as academic integrity, integrating chatbot AI tools into the curriculum to enhance the educational experience for students, and addressing ethical considerations and challenges associated with the use of AI and education. Now, I have a list of questions that I'll, I'll talk, and then we might go off on some of them, and I'd like to make it as open as we can. But before I do, I'm going to do something very gimmicky. And I'm going to ask ChatGPT to ask the panel the first question. Okay. I wasn't able to uh, display how this works uh, in uh, my last talk, uh, but now I have a laptop with a VPN. So I've, I wrote a prompt, quite a long prompt, and one of the things that I have learned is your answers and how good your answers are are really determined by how good your prompt is. So in the prompt, I've, I've scrubbed out your names, but I have kept your titles. GPT will be aware of this, this talk and the purpose of this talk. And one of the things that I'll warn you, I have no idea what it's going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried this already five times, and it's given me something different each time. Okay, so I have no idea. So here we go. Okay, so if you cannot read this on the screen, I'll read it out to you. Hello, my name is, and I inserted a blank, uh, and I'm a faculty member at a Hong Kong university. I've been following the workshop series, thank you, uh, on generative artificial technology and education with great interest, particularly the discussions on the potential impact of ChatGPT on higher education. I have two questions for the panelists. With the advancement of AI, there is concern about academic integrity and the potential for students to use AI-generated content for assignments and exams. What measures can education take to ensure academic integrity while also leveraging AI tools for teaching and learning. I'll come back to this question later because this is actually a common question that appears in the AI generative text. And you can see the limitations of the AI tool at this point. All right. I'll come back to that later. Uh, the second question is uh, directed to the director of the Center for Holistic Teaching and Learning <laughs> at HKBU. Sorry. <laughs> Last time in my last one, it was actually asking uh, Hong Kong you, so it's interesting. Given your expertise in technology enhanced learning, what strategies do you recommend for integrating ChatGPT and other AI tools into the curriculum to enhance the educational experiences for students, while also addressing the ethical considerations and challenges associated with AI and education? So maybe I'll open up the question one to the panel we've already talked about this a little bit but i'll give you an opportunity to add anything uh would anyone like to tackle and add to the first question that was asked again this is what measures can educators take to ensure academic integrity while also leveraging ai tools for teaching and learning Another way to answer the question is to put it into ChatGPT on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We 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 could answer that with ChatGPT. Yeah, but I'll leave it to humans first, because <laughs> I suspect it would be a better answer. Well, I I guess well I also talked to a, a, a few professors. I guess the only thing we can do well not only thing, whatever assessment we're going to do now. Right, they submit their work. We need to check it out whether it's really their own work. So 
we really need to talk to the student whether they internalize this information because we we really cannot check purely just by submitting the document whether this is really their own work or chat as far as i understand there's a low low two available whether you can check right the only i think the only thing we are concerning is whether they are actually learning so in that case we need to spend a lot of time the entire whole assess, assessment would be completely different professors would probably spend two days a week purely doing assessment with the coming of this one to ensure the student really internalizing this information that's that's my answer yeah. so basically we're thinking it's assessment design needs to change yeah assessment yeah. design because the, the the whole thing is the assessment you want them to learn right yeah yeah, to yeah. ensure them to learn is you either randomly pick 10 percent of the student to see whether they they actually internalize the information because you, you you really don't know whether it's their own work or chat gtp's work and i think it's part of the problem if we're focusing too much on catching them cheating uh will, what i would call we're playing whack-a-mole right because every time we think we can catch it a new technology will come up and it'll be even better right so in your case this is more proactive and we're dealing with learning as opposed to trying to cap capture someone from cheating anyone else would you like to follow up on that maybe uh like uh, in fact my team like use different detection tools to check the AI generated content. Yes, we have like copy leaks, we have chat zero, we have a, a cross, a lag, and also writer, and also Chatterday. And no single detection tool is perfect. And let's be honest, even for the Chatterday itself, for text, uh, text uh, uh, matching check, it's not like absolutely reliable, mm. right? So uh, yes, I agree with Jimmy uh, that we, probably like like may, uh, should be a more proactive role and we have to also think of like from the top like uh, the institutional level uh, whether like we are prepared to like embrace the technology and then like the curriculum design the change of curriculum design the pedagogies the assessment and and also the ethical use uh, for the uh, at HKBU during the COVID, we thought that like using proctoring, talk, proctoring tool might not be helpful for our uh, university teachers and students. And we uh, actually grabs the opportunity to make changes to the uh, assessment policy to like uh, tone down the weighting of single, any single assessment type or exam type as, uh, to less than 40%. That means uh, midterm test, final exam, all add together no more than 40%. I think it is also a good way, uh, I mean, good time, another opportunity for us to like rethink again uh, whether uh, we should still have the examination uh, for our students. We emphasize a lot on contextualized assessment and authentic assessment. Uh, if it is, we tie it to the real world. Uh, I think it would be easier for the students. I mean, at least relate uh, their their learning with the uh, with the real world, and uh, and then uh, like less memorization of uh, the content materials. It's a more application 
and creation rather than like uh, regurgitating uh, the content, uh, the concept uh, definitions. Yeah. And, and Professor Han, I mean, my understanding when you were describing your experiences and how you're using it with your courses, this, this is exactly what you're trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's part of the process. I wonder if you can explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, so addition to uh, uh, Professor Fong and uh, Teresa, so uh, we do believe it is impossible to directly check out the, the student is doing some plagiarism or not. But uh, we, we do have uh, developed some methods in checking the plagiarism behavior. Like uh, uh, initially, we may have uh, like an essay. So we give a big topic like the future of robots. So then the student may directly use a chat uh, GPT and generate different essay. And we, we check the, the similarity of this essay. It's totally different, like 90. 95% different mm -hmm. generated by GPT for a broader topic. But if we give it a very specific topic, like a humanoid robot implementation in engineering education, uh, a very specific topic, then the jet GPT generate several IC and with high similarity, like a 40 to 50. So then, uh, so it enable us to just give a topic like in a very specific area. And another thing is we can use different uh, class of uh, assessment, like we can check their hands-on learning ability, like as engineering students, science student, and many medicine students, they have a hands-on learning. So, uh, and for hands-on learning, we cannot directly use uh, ChatGPT. So it's another method. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last method is probably maybe the direct way. So we just uh, prevent students uh, mm -hmm. using their smartphones. <laughs> yeah, so we just have an in-class quiz, okay, or direct exam. So they don't have any opportunity to, to, uh, to assess their smartphone or laptop then I think this is one possibility to prevent the plagiarism. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that the more specific and complex your essay prompt is, uh, the results tend to have a higher similarity across. I, I think that's quite interesting. And I see that issue here with this prompt that I just gave. Uh, in my other examples, question one was always about this topic, right? And question two was the one that varied. Right. So that tells you a lot about the data set and how it's been trained on the data set. It has its limitations in that yes. sense. Yeah. Uh, Davis, I'm going to come back. We're talking about assessment design, right? And the implications of how we have to rethink assessment. And I want to bring in with something that you touched on with uh, sustainability and replacement of jobs and so on. One of the things that's coming to my mind, if we start changing and rethinking our assessment design, what are we going to do with those courses that have 100, 200, 300 students? And quite often, due to manpower reasons, essays are the easiest approach. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can't do that and we want to expand or, or change our assessment design, what do we do with manpower? How do we solve this issue? I don't have an answer. I don't think anyone does. But it's an interesting topic to think about. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question that we should have been asking ourselves anyway, because, you know, quite frankly, I, I always ask students, you know, what what is it that you are getting in your classroom that you think that you'll use 
you know, will you use all the skills that you've learned to be able to study for a test? No, probably not. Do you think that you will be uh, taking a three hour exam as part of your job requirement? No, probably not. You, you'll be working with others. You'll be doing a lot of things that are that have uh, that have nothing to do with the way that we're teaching and learning. In fact, I think a lot of our assessments, quite frankly, are not assessments of the knowledge, but they're assessments of how good their short term memory is. So if that's the case, there are probably better ways to be able to, to test that. Um, I think, quite frankly, we need to get out of the content delivery business. You know, that's a 19th, 20th century model. We've outgrown it. Um, we don't need it. The, there's so much information at our fingertips. We would be ridiculous to avoid using it. So then the question is, what do we do? And I, I think that, you know, some of the answers that, that the panelists were just talking about are right on the money. We need to be looking a lot more at experiential learning, hands-on. Um, we need to challenge ourselves to think about what is a right answer. So if you have a, a hands-on uh, project and you get to the very end and it fails, does that mean that you didn't learn? No, it actually might even mean that you learned even more because now you'll reflect on why it didn't work the way that it was supposed to and you'll find all the reasons why you could do it better the next time. So, you know, we're still kind of in this mode of there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer. I'm the sole source of knowledge in this classroom. And I think we have to break that that mold quite um, uh, quite vigorously to be able to, to go uh, and provide the kind of skill-based uh, knowledge that students are going to take into the 20, 21st century. I think this is a good segue into another topic that you everyone's raised, and that's uh, the need to explore higher order thinking, right? And and, and I'm also thinking in the concept, uh, in the from the perspective that AI and generative AI is changing every day. I mean, just yesterday or this morning, Notion. For those of you who know Notion, it's a very useful tool, uh, productivity tool. Um, they've incorporated AI into their tool now. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but it sounds very promising. And um, so it's difficult to embrace something that's always changing. But what that does show us is that we need to be adaptive. And this is a, another skill that we need to start teaching students, right? Adaptability. So I guess my question then to the panel is if all of these new skills are starting to arise, or they've always been there, but we're not addressing them, where do we place that in the curriculum? Do we set up a course just specifically for this? Do we make it across the disciplines? Uh, how do we bring this in to the curriculum? What's the best strategy? Give everyone a minute to think about that. <laughs> well, maybe, well, maybe I'll start with Common Core, perhaps. <laughs> Sorry. That's a very difficult question. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I actually don't have an answer for that because um, it, it I mean, we want the different programs and disciplines to the students in, in them to have that experience and to be able to be AI literate. Yeah. But then they don't take the same courses. So how do you embed that into their programs? I guess with universities like um, HKU, we've got the Common Core and students do come together across the different disciplines but then they're still taking different subjects. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a question that I'm thinking about as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do we build this into it? I, unless there's a more systematic way of embedding that AI literacy across different courses, um, it is very difficult. Um, but potentially if we move towards more 
uh, experiential based project based learnings, you know, assessments around sustainability, then students can use those tools, pr provided we kind of give some instructions, um, general instructions on how you do that. And then potentially they can across different courses and different subjects. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my thinking around that. Uh, but it is very difficult to to kind of have common points yeah. uh, for students to do that. Yeah, I mean, it is a difficult question to answer, and I, and I don't think we know yet, right? But uh, it's now is the time to have dialogue about this and, and think mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Any other points of views on this topic? Maybe I try. Uh, actually, I think um, the use of AI. It's, it's not for the sake of using it. It's like other technologies. Uh, when we talk uh, with our teachers, any uh, technologies, it is not using for the sake of using it. You have to be pedagogical driven. Mm. And like uh, for training, like uh, I uh, like agree with Jack that whether we should like have a general common core course or like embedded into the curriculum, it really depends uh, the need. Um, but then I, to my point of view, I think a very general uh, course, like in the Common Core or in a general education, to teach our students like the knowledge about AI, uh, the security issue, uh, the basic uh, uh, algorithm uh, of AI, and then a bit of like coding and data analysis, all sorts of like uh, basic knowledge about AI would be helpful for them. And then it, I can see this as an opportunity for the students themselves to think whether the use of AI in their own discipline would be helpful because different professionals might have, like, may use it differently. Right? So that's the reason why I thought it really depends on um, the discipline. And for, for us, we promote transdisciplinary uh, programs to our, I mean, uh, transdisciplinary courses. And actually, we have four transdisciplinary programs at the university. Leonie launched uh, this uh, academic year. And we actually would like the generative AI or the AI bot to help to interact with our students because the students themselves have, might have limited knowledge of different perspectives. I mean, perspectives from other disciplines, but then when they have to create something uh, to solve an issue or a global issue, they need ideas from other disciplines, mm -hmm. but we do not have enough knowledge and we need to rely on the chat, I, I mean the chatbot. So I think it's like, it really depends on the, the need as well. Yeah, I guess this, this AI training is not just at university level, right? By the time the student coming in, I'm sure they already explored AI already. You know, so it's a lot of things we is when they come to university, we try to undo them or try to so called teach them properly or how to using AI is already too late. I think. So that's why I say is the entire whole AI coming in is 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 not just impact on, on at our university level. I'm I'm sure the entire whole education sector from the kindergarten on I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, when we have our iPad, you know, two years later, the four years old already have the iPad. <laughs> right? So I would, I'm sure we without using AI, I mean, two, two months later, our four year old will start using AI. 
right? So, so, so if we are four years old, by the time they're 18, come to university, they have 16 years. You think one single common core course can undo? I, I really much doubt it. So, so it's, I think it's the whole, not just at the university level, it's entire whole community, the whole entire education sector, or all of us have, even parents have to really discuss about, okay, with the AI coming, you know, what, what impact on us? I, I see it now. I see a, a five-year-old boy going to his mom and dad's asking, can we have a puppy? No, they say. Well, according to JetGPT, these are all the benefits a puppy can bring to the family. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've touched on two things. One is uh, unlearning or undoing, right? And, and that, I think, yes, we have to be prepared for that. There's a chance that uh, students through secondary school, primary school are becoming uh, with a varying degree of what they've learned. Right? And some of it must be, might be in, misinformed, right? So what is their previous knowledge, right? So we have to prepare for that. And then also what you mentioned, um, the novelty factor, right? Are we using it just for the sake that it's new and, and, and interesting? Or does it have a true pedagogical value if we're using it in our teaching and learning? I remember when Cahoots came out, every classroom had Cahoots, right? And, and quite often the way it was being used was not for any real pedagogical reason, yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, maybe I'll ask another couple more questions and then I'll open it up to the audience right, to make sure that we have a discussion. Uh, we're talking a little bit about the future work, right? And the importance of the future work and preparing students. But that also means that we need to have our universities, our institutions prepared uh, in the sense that we need to have the resources to do this, right? How do we ensure that uh, our faculty members uh, our, our centers and institutions are prepared. Resources anywhere from hardware to software, but also manpower and training. Uh, is this a new skill set that we need to consider when we think about resources? Any ideas? I can take a stab at that. I, th I think, um, so let, let's start with the idea that what we're talking about today is, is a very user-friendly tool. Right. So we could separate the idea of, you know, really smart computer scientists who are able to kind of manufacture that. And there's probably a major for those people. The majority of us will not be doing that. You know, and um, so the question is, what is the foundation for the rest of us? We don't have to know coding, but we, we do need to know how to, to manage this information. So I think that I, I'm struck by there's a lot of similarities about how we're talking about this today versus how we've been talking about sustainability. Sustainability, at one time, we thought, well, that's kind of a silo. It's like a major, you know, and it, it'll be relevant to some people, but not to everyone else. And then we, we continue to discover that no matter what you're doing, there's some kind of a sustainability element. It might be as a, as a businessman, it could be as a scientist, but there's, you know, there, there are ways that it all kind of connects. And you realize that it's more of a kind of a concept that builds a foundation. Everyone can, like a language, right? You don't have to be a, a writer, a professional writer to learn English because it, it, you'll use it. And I think that that's the same thing here, but I think that we wouldn't probably call it AI. I think we'd probably call it something like information curation or information management. Because what we're really trying to teach students is, do you know where to get the information? Do you know if it's right? Do you know if it's accurate? Um, do you know how to get the kind of information that you need? 
I think that I remember you uh, had some great examples last week uh, in your video or in your presentation about it. It doesn't it doesn't give you the right answers quite often the first time. Um, you need to know how to to manipulate this, and of course, it will get better and better. So when we're thinking about this, we may not be thinking in terms of of how we um, create a, a narrow silo that teaches students. We might be thinking about how do we spread this out across all of our disciplines. And so to answer your question, then that means that we always need to be upping our game. Uh, because the, quite frankly, we're, you know, the, things are changing so fast that anything that we learned when we were in college is completely out of date. You know? So if we are to remain relevant and good instructors and be able to train our students, we have to stay up to date on this. So all of us should be really thinking about how does this information management curation affect the kinds of courses that I teach and how do I do it from a language perspective and a technology perspective, a design perspective, and how do we know if the information we're getting is, is good and accurate? And, and then we can show by demonstration how students can use it as well. Thank you. Maybe I come on one thing, knowing Google's because after using Google, Google will identify the IP address and send certain certain type of information to you only. So I don't know whether ChatGDB later will do the same thing, right? They will only send, okay, they know who you are, what is your background, what is your fault, and they would, it's a bit like human, right? When I talk to Sean, I would like to using some kind of different language to your PC. When I talk to your know, David, maybe I'm using you know, another something, right? ChatGPT, we, we will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, so because now we are, we are every one of us only talking to ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. So when we, you know, polarize certain group of people, that's another thing we need to worry because Google is already doing that to some extent. So I don't know whether ChatGTV would do the, doing the same thing, right? We have, a, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not an AI person, but, but high potential of that. Yeah. I mean, we, we know that at the moment, there's a lot of um, encoded maybe biases, assumptions, presuppositions uh, in, within this uh, ChatGPT or, or the GenAI AI database. And, you know, we, we need to, maybe uh, involve more stakeholders into this conversation, into the development of uh, this system. I think one of the ways in which we can maybe approach the institutional development of how we use this is involving the students. Uh, because a lot of the time we think about it from the teacher's administration point of view, but then we can kind of give the students uh, a bit of agency to then play around with how they would like to see this develop. And, and I think that's really important. Um, and just going beyond employability as well. I mean, we, we think about the future in terms of work and employability, but there's also you know, how they live their lives. Uh, how does the university give them civics and citizenship and all that? So I, I think just, just framing the conversation in a potentially broader sense rather than just the future of work. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. I totally agree with Jimmy and Jack. So the future use AI could be personalized, customized. And so Google may 
based on our uh, background, they generate a different answer. So chat GPT can also do that. So, uh, but the prerequisite is we should first uh, give our personal information uh, to chat GPT. And as Jack, uh, Jack said, so in the future, maybe chat GPT uh, may become from centralized. They have a database, they have a centralized training, uh, uh, training data and to decentralize the model. So everyone, student, teacher, uh, normal people can use their own personalized uh, chat GPT. Okay, so, so that's why, uh, so for our university, we are planning to promote this, uh, this technique to train uh, different people uh, for using uh, chatbot. So like, uh, so we started from a workshop so just organize a group of teacher to teach how people can use their own chatbot based on a specific training set. Yeah, so, so chat GPT is just a, like a tool, like a Google. Yeah. So we, we find the search the answer. So chat GPT is just like uh, we find uh, some answers to uh, some specific question. So the most important thing is how we can master the tool and use for us. Yeah, I think this is the most important thing. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll open up now to the audience. Okay, hi, I'm Victoria. I'm from the library. And I had lots of questions and thoughts, but um, I'm going to ask the one that just finally came to me towards the end. Um, AI, ChatGPT, um, they're all from massively funded corporations. And so how do we, or how do any of you imagine that these corporations will monetize these generative AI utilities? We were talking about Google. We know how Google makes their money, by ads, by targeting. So how do we imagine these corporations will monetize these generative AI utilities and start charging students and institutions for them? I mean, the publishers, Pearson, I mean, think about the textbook costs and things like that. So, uh, so this is something that in our discussions we haven't raised yet. So I was just, I, any of you who might want to think about the whole um, profit capital issue. And to add on that, I would say an equity issue, right? Equity. Yeah. yeah. Open up to the panel, any thoughts? Well, I'll, I'll, just, <laughs> just, I'll jump in. You know, there's the, what the saying, I think, that if, um, if, if you're not paying for a product, then you are the product, right? And that's how all the social media works. You get it for free, but, you know, all of your personal data and, you know, your information, your, your life, all that stuff really belongs. And it's right, pretty clear. I think if you read through all the, the Google, you know, read, accept me, text it's buried in there about what they can do with your your data and that may be one of the things that they do here i think it's it's very early it's interesting to think about this as a a, um, a business model and the the three big players in this you know microsoft and google and i think it's uh, beijing uh it's azure or there's a there's a chinese uh <laughs> component that's also a big player. They're not the only ones. There's literally hundreds of companies that are all working their way and they'll all have different business models. And I think it'll, I mean, my impression would be that 
there will be free. And as long as people are willing to give away their personal information the way that they do for Facebook and other social media, then maybe they would be willing to go ahead and give their personal information away for free. And others who feel a little bit more strongly about that might prefer to pay for it to, to block that. So, yeah. And the question is for the university, would we, if we feel like this is a great tool, like a library, mm -hmm. we don't charge students to use the library. We feel well, like we don't charge the students to use the library, but the library through the university funds companies like Elsevier, mm -hmm. like Wiley, like Springer, like um, many other different companies. And so to say, I'm, so I mean, I, th I think what you've raised is, yeah, that our data might be one of the products. And as an institution, maybe we also need to think about that as well, because I often feel that my role as a librarian, sometimes I have to push back against many of these information and publishing companies that want to suck up our students' data. So, um, but I, it was, thank you for responding to that. I know it was a hard question. And <laughs> okay, now I'll pass it to other people. Uh, we, we've got a question from the online audience and then I'll come to you uh, next. Uh, from online we have, how will you engage students in formulating the policy, training and support for using ChatGPT for learning and teaching? And, and you, you mentioned that we, uh, someone mentioned in our talk already that we should be engaging students. So uh, as a follow-up to that, how should we engage students? I think it's how you empower the students, right? So what kind of structure do you give, the, give them? What kind of freedom do you give them in terms of redesigning uh, the experience, the training, and whatever is required um, in that experience of this Gen AI system? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, at the moment, I'm doing, for example, a lot of student as partners projects. And I think this kind of student as partners framework and conception might be useful uh, in uh, firstly onboarding the students and then letting them design their experience. I, I think this is goes to the heart of, um, I guess, the marketization and the commodification of education. Um, as our previous um, audience kind of alluded to, uh, is this concept of the student as a consumer. Uh, we need to change that. Uh, it's, and we have to see students as uh, more agentic and, and um, co-creators mm. of the university experience. And, and there are people working on student as partners projects, and I think um, that's a way of approaching it. What about, the, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh, actually, I guess uh, in, in, in the process of formulating any policies, uh, we usually like go through committees and uh, even for the task force, we will invite students to be within the task force or in the committees. And we, uh, even for any policies or guidelines, we also have consultative sections with the students, with the teachers, with senior management as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess, this is something that we really want to like talk with the students. We need we treasure student voice, and I totally agree with Jack. Uh, we are working in partnership, actually, co-creating uh, uh, the learning environment for the students. Thank you. Actually, a follow-up to the Chat GDP first question. Uh, actually, if you can put that back up, if it doesn't interfere with whatever you're doing, no, that'd be sure. great. Because so Jimmy did a great job of identifying you know the big driving problem 
you know, people did an essay or they did a music video or whatever the course might be about, you know, how can you tell if it's really, you know, what they did it or what else was involved? And, and this is a, you know, a universal question. And you guys did a good job kind of echoing that, yeah, this is truly a universal question. Davis had some insights that touched on briefly that can maybe follow up on more. He said, oh, it should be some reflection actually why not if other things are involved and so getting back to that um when you turn in that essay or you've done or a music video if you made a music video in another class um in addition to that it would be nice to have reflection document that says well what was your process to get to that uh you just go through it okay chat gtp okay you used it so what was the input okay and why did you pick that as your input and then how much value added did you add to that as you were going along, and then what other things, you know, maybe you know, Chet GTP was only doing the lyrics, and you use some other generative program for generating the melody, another one for the harmony, another one for recutting the video to make it match the beat. There could be many different things, but that kind of gets to the idea of, of leveraging the AI tools, and especially if that reflection document is shared with is one of the things shared with the other students, and they see, oh wow, that was really cool the way he use this tool use that tool did his own integration of them to make them work together in a way that you know just mind-blowing mm -hmm. then i think that's getting toward probably where, where we're leading with 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 these things we need to look at their process we need to learn from their process they, they can find tools out there on music that even though i've you know been trained to a high degree of uh, spending my life on it that there's always new music tools coming on that I don't know about and that I learned from just like everybody else. So I think some kind of a documented reflection process is probably where that first question is kind of going in, in the future, whether it, you make a um, you know one minute video of your process or you write a little one page essay, uh, reflection essay to, to do that. But that's I think that's gotta be part of people's thinking probably going forward because otherwise, if I just look at a music video and say, wow, that's really good, but <laughs> did they make it? Uh, how did they make it? And, and, and what were their secrets? The behind the scenes, doc, director commentary secrets that they can share are wonderful. Uh, that's, and I think Davis was hinting at that. And, and, and that, I think that's kind of the logical extension to the, making that concrete for if you're grading an essay, what do you do? Yeah, the, the, whole, the whole issue I totally agree with you is to do with assessment. But it's unfortunately a lot of us do not train to have that assessment. So even all the professors need to be, to some extent, need to be retrained, need to have the mindset, right? For the whole, because why we can, we have mass education, because, you know, we train them, we assess them, right? We're using a the simplest mean to, to access them so that we can have mass education like we have to today. But now if all the students, when they submit their work, you want to make sure whether it's truly their own work. You can imagine the, it create another job. That's no question of that. But, but it will not be a massive. So, so, so course will come, come with it. Right. So, so, so there's, there's another new dimension there, I think. 
like just something that because I, you know, I, I kind of like the way she put it. It's really saying that we're going from outcome oriented to process oriented, right? So the process is what you do. You might end up with the wrong answer at the end, but actually the wrong answer is not the pro is not the point. Is that you're kind of going through step by step. You're understanding how how you do that, and so we have to. I mean, you're right. It is an additional job, but but maybe more accurately, it's just a, a different job. You know, maybe we start to move away from some traditional assessments and then just to adopt something that allows us to see every step of the process. You know, because the fact is, we're you know, it, it, interesting. You know, with a, a music background, I mean, we're influenced by everything, right? You could never say that someone created a a, a work of music in a vacuum without you know being influenced by uh, composers musicians and this sound of dogs barking and whatever it is that kind of put some of those ideas into your head um so we can't you know we don't want to block all those things out we want to encourage everyone to absorb all that we just want to know how you, what you're doing with it and how you're doing it and is that leading to an understanding of how to solve a problem again in that case it might be to create a uh, composition it might be to Look at climate change and figure out what kinds of solutions are available. Fantastic. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have one more answer, then we'll move on to the questions because okay. there's a lot sure. coming up. But go ahead, please. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, no. No. I totally agree. And and I think it's um, you know, how how do we get students to think more meta cognitively? Uh, and that's the process part, right? Mm -hmm. So it's around the epistemologies and the and the uh, the processes and methodologies uh, to then learn about the the concept. And, and totally agree with Davis around what are we assessing? Are we assessing the outcome or are we assessing the, the process? And at the moment, we tend to focus more on the outcome. Yeah. yeah. And, and this also leads to a discussion around, well, when, when students do assignments, who sees that at the end, right? So can we move to more portfolio-based assessment methods where uh, after they do the assessment, then that becomes part of their portfolio, which then gets seen by other people if that if that's the case then potentially students would take more care about things like academic integrity as well and there needs to be a redefinition of academic integrity in the light of all these technologies as well you know what how do we cite uh knowledge how do we cite the the tools that help us create knowledge as well Okay, I'll move on to uh, the next question online and then um, we'll come back to the audience. So, okay, the next question. While some students are already using ChatGPT, some others don't have access to it because of VPN, account registration, et cetera. As an educator, what's your view on this inequality at this moment? It's a valid question. I mean, equity and accessibility is an issue in Hong Kong. Anyone like to? Well, I think if we just look beyond ChatGPT, and don't mention about the development of mm -hmm. different, uh, for example, AI writing tools, um, th there is other tools out there. So, for example, Quora mm -hmm. has created something called Po, mm -hmm. and Po acts also like ChatGPT. So, I think over the next few months, we'll see a proliferation mm -hmm. of these tools, which then potentially overcomes this access, especially in Hong Kong, but obviously there are other access issues in other parts of the world. I think this comes to a comment I was raised earlier about we need to have a systems point of view. Davis, you mentioned it. I mean, I've always argued social complex theory needs to be 
taught at a very early age, right? Not at the university level. It needs to start sooner, right? Uh, and, and, and we need to be react, not reactive, right? We need to be proactive and think holistically. And this is something that is happening right now. Everyone's focusing on chat GPT. That's just a reaction to generative AI. There's a whole lot more to think about and beyond that. Yeah, we had a question from the audience. So I'm in the finance department at SBM, and my research is on the dark side of finance. <laughs> so I'm very surprised at the optimism in this panel. So let me ask you a pessimistic question. So suppose I have one of my students put in chat GPT, please explain the six most popular ways in manip of manipulating the Hong Kong stock market in the last one year and who was doing it, and out comes answers. Those are dangerous answers. And some of these students may actually take them factually, right? So there are legal and ethical issues about all of this. Mm -hmm. And so we, they may lose their skepticism of, on these answers. So what do you think of that? That's a very good question. So the, the, I think the most direct answer is that anyone can ask that question. It's not just people with bad intent would ask the question. So if someone is, um, you know, the, the way that you harden your IT systems is you hire people to hack the IT systems and tell you where your vulnerabilities are. So I think you would do exactly the same thing for ChatGTP. You would ask ChatGTP how to manipulate the system. You'd find out what it tells you, which would be the same thing that someone else might learn and you continue to try to stay one step ahead. My question was not asking chat GPT, GPT how to manipulate the system. My question was who was manipulating the system at this moment and they start giving me names and then I wonder. Would this be in the public record? So, so would I be a regulator? Should I explain? Should I let the regulators know that the, this thing is going on? They, mm. And they're and they scouring the web, right? There's so many rumors on the web. Mm. And some of them are coming out. So there's this you're innocent. So you're saying that it, it would scour the web, it would get a lot of bad information. Bad and information. And, and, and someone would not. Well, I think so. This is really the, the key here that we have to understand is that this, I think you, you mentioned this quite well last week. ChatGTP does not give you the best answers in the world. I, my wife actually looked me up. She said, I wonder what they would say about Davis Bookhart. It said that I'm the director of the United Nations uh, Development and I invented the SDGs. <laughs> so that would be great on my, my resume, but it's not true. It's not true. So I do think um, it's a tool. If, if someone wanted to use that, um, and I think this gets back to the how do we train our students? We have to train our students. I mean, that's a really a good lesson in humility. Type something in maybe about yourself or someone you know, and then just look for all the factual errors just to remind yourself that this is not the a sole source of truth and that you've got to do a lot of work to make sure that you're taking it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I understand what, what you mean. I, I, I do see there's a quite a few of things. It's no different from Google. Yeah. You know, this selective group of information give you, it create polarized information. Because your human are always looking for information they would like to hear. This is in our gene. It doesn't matter how you train it. You know, it's, it's not just a matter of, you know, keep educating our kid. I, I think we, we do, I still see, we, 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 we embrace it. 
but I I would have a lot of calls with us. You know, you you know it, it could create a lot unintended consequence. We might not realize. Yeah. I think as these advance, yeah, it, it, so it'll be more consequence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And while one sets in a rule, another might ignore that rule. So we don't know. That's an issue. One from the audience, and I'll come back to the online. All right. Uh, I want to come back to talk about two issues. One is about the assessment. So I guess I think that currently with the higher education, that we focus on the outcome, and then we talk about whether we are assessing outcome or assessing the process. I have to say, both are important, right? So we can't really give up one versus the other. But then the question is that how are we, how are we going to like capture everything? So let me use an example. When we are hiring anybody in your office, you go through an interview, you look at the CV, What's being put on the CV is all the achievement they have done. Did they put down they fail in the exam? No. Did they put down that they apply for a job that they did not get in? No. But that's part of the experience, right? And that helped to shape them into the way that they present in front of you. Now, when they come to you and what you assess them is that, well, you may be fooled by that interview and hire them. And you find that three weeks into the work, into the work actually, you find that actually they're not performing. So you fire them, all right? So that's an assessment process. So in a way, I, then I, I buy the idea Jack was talking about portfolio. The portfolio is we want to have as comprehensive portfolio as possible so that we can do the assessment. But is it foolproof? No, you can still make mistakes. And that's what the entire system in the human world we're supposed to encounter. And we just want to minimize that. So, so in a way, I think that what we want to focus on in the future in terms of assessment, we probably need to have a more comprehensive assessment cutting across multiple area so that we can assess it. Now, then let me talk about the outcome. What do we want our student as the outcome? Is it they fulfill a professional requirement so that they can land a job or they can be a good human being so that they can contribute? Now, this is by my definition what, what that outcome is. Collectively, we need to make a decision. What do we want our student to be? Now, I think that uh, maybe last week or so, there was in one article talking about in the future, university education is supposed to teach people to be human. What exactly is human? <laughs> we need to define it, right? And I believe that everybody here would have a different definition of what human is. So do we have a common ground to really say what university is supposed to do? But certainly when I say that it's supposed to teach us to be human, nobody would disagree. But how do we define it? I think that's the key. And so, so with that, in a way, I see that, as everybody has pointed out, ChatGPT is just a tool. Mm -hmm. This tool allows us to maybe speed up the process faster, but you're bound to make mistakes. And you probably will bound to make a lot of mistakes initially, maybe fewer later on. So how are we going to go through that journey? I think that's the important part. And I believe that it really takes time. It is not something that we would say that I put on one particular measure, we will settle it. I don't think so. And probably we are simply guessing from the administrator, from the teacher's perspective. Students will have their counter proposal, how to address it more properly. So I think that's something that we need to go through. So I, I want to like raise the idea that how do we want the university to train people to be human? Not necessarily professional, but happy human being who can form a good society.
Any follow-up to that from the panel? If not, I'll move on to the next question. Because it's yeah. uh, by the way, a, a very well-known uh, linguist, uh, James Paul G, uh, wrote uh, his recent novel or his recent book. Sorry, is asked that very question: What is a human? It's a it's a good read. Um, okay, plug someone else's book. Why not? Any recommendations? Because we touched on it, but we didn't really go into depth about well-being. The question from an online audience is uh, any recommended strategies to employ generative AI for student well-being and social emotional development within course level or institutional level how can we step forward for students well-being well in the beginning I mentioned about well-being and maybe the Gen-I's ability to catch students who are at risk especially if they're failing their assessments and, and all that mm -hmm. obviously there's a issue around privacy and security if we're feeding information into the system. Uh, so, you know, I would advocate maybe potentially building a more closed system within university environments, but that's something, another conversation. Um, the, the effective aspect of uh, how Gen AI, can, Gen AI can contribute to well-being is probably something we haven't yet spoken about very much, and it's not really something that's spoken about within popular press as well. Um, our, and I think that there is potential to do that, especially around a dialogue-based uh, learning systems. So feeling less lonely when you're kind of learning it, because it acts like a, a assistant. Yeah. So I think that's quite useful. Um, I would also question what's going to happen when we start relying on AI systems? What is our identity as students and also as teachers? In, ter you know, in terms of that augmentation process, will we feel more lonely? Will we feel more connected? Uh, is that, how is that going to influence our mental well-being? And that's more a question um, rather than, a, than an answer. Yeah. But I think it's something that's uh, worth exploring, that transformation of, of subjectivities. Uh, you know, how, because we're always in the process of becoming better teachers, for example. And we're hopefully in the process of educating students to become better students and better human beings. But how is that Gen AI, not just thinking about ChatGPT, but also the all the range of of different uh, Gen AI tools emerging at the moment um, at uh, quite a fast pace? Um, how is that going to impact on that transformation process, the becoming and the liminality of the student? Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. I think I think that's really come to King's question about how to be a human. We it seems we all, we even contribute our mental health into an AI. I mean, to be honest, if we are all a human being, we caring our labors. You know, we would have spotted. Oh, this guy has some problems. We better help him out. I mean, why are we don't want an AI to 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 tell me? Okay. <laughs> oh, it's just. I, I don't like to using AI, but it seems really why why we don't spot it right right at the beginning, much earlier. You know, I mean, if it, we should have identified, I'm sure we are much better than AI from this aspect. We have been evolved, you know, how many years to to spot your face, the way you walk, slightly different from what you behave from yesterday. I already tell okay. You're having a bad day today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I drawing on what you're saying there, I think it's also important to think about the data set. If we're using it to help with well-being, we really need to be very careful ethically and morally about the data set that's being used to draw and, and measure and analyze the student's well-being and also how it's been trained, right? If it's been trained on um, uh, uh, chicken soup for the soul, right, we might be having a problem and it might be giving bad advice to students and that, that's a very unethical thing to do, right? So. I just I, I was listening to a podcast a week or so ago, and the, one of the panel members was very specifically arguing against using this for mental well-being because I mean the, the stakes are just too high, mm -hmm. and we know that it, it doesn't give you good answers. And so I, I do think, uh, and I agree with with Jimmy. We we do we need to you know we need to be able to interconnect personally. Um, and use AI as a tool. And maybe there are some ways that we can use it for well-being, but um, we should resist the idea that it can do everything if we just you know, unlock the potential. Maybe it can, maybe it can't. But I, I do think that one thing that um, is related to well-being is that we are becoming more and more isolated. You know? And coming out of COVID, we know how miserable we all were when we had to work from home. You know, it's kind of fun at first, and then after a couple of weeks, it was really isolating and difficult. And, created all kinds of mental problems for many of us and depression and so forth. So we know that, you know, that getting uh, deeper and deeper into, you know, using AI tools or computer tools that uh, that uh, that draw us away from our social settings. Uh, now, on the other hand, you know, the promise here is that if these kinds of tools can streamline some of the work that takes us away from society, then it would open up more time for face-to-face -face meetings and interactions. So there's probably two ways that it might help. And ironically, it might be helping with well-being by allowing us to get some of our work done a little faster so we can get back to uh, our face-to-face -face conversations. I have one additional point from a technical uh, aspect. So, so I, I think it's uh, something related to uh, data analysis for the well-being of uh, students or human by using uh, ChatGPT or any uh, technology. So, uh, so from our practical uh, practice, so we use a chatbot and uh, the student can ask a question to the chatbot and then we have a data analyze so how many questions a student ask in a specific area and then we may have a specific assessment on students so like uh, the student asked many questions in chapter one mm. then maybe in a quiz we give more questions for the students then we can find oh this student may have some problem in learning the material in this specific chapter so uh, maybe we can have a personalized education on this specific student so then i don't know it's related to well-being or not i think we may have the same problem by using a chat gpt if someone keep talking to chat gpt like i'm not happy i'm not a good mm -hmm. i would like to kill someone then maybe the engineer of uh, Microsoft should talk to him. <laughs> I think that's a really good example, actually. I mean, you're touching on something that we often recommend that professors do, in fact, the members do anyway. Have some sort of mechanism in your course. Ask students 
uh, am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Are you having problems and so on? But what you're talking about is AI can be used to automate that process in real time, right? So it, it is somewhat related to well-being, but I, I would call it academic well-being, like learning analytics in that sense. So you're, you're able to get in real time an understanding of what areas students are having difficulty with. And that is, can be potentially a very powerful tool. With due time, uh, I'm going to have to end it. Uh, we went a little over time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your contribution. And thank you to everyone online as well. Thank you for listening to Enlight, brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu, and a big thank you to our editorial team. Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, and we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.